0: Thank you, Megan, choir, orchestra. Aren't you glad that we have a Lord who's faithful? No matter our need, he is able. I thank him for that. Well, today we continue our series, the miracles of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the first miracle, which was turning the water into wine. Today, we look at his second recorded miracle. Now, John uses three different words to refer to the miracles. The first is signs, which means a mark or a token. When applied to a miracle, it is convincing proof. So oftentimes, John uses the word signs, something that confirms, it authenticates. So when he uses the word sign, it is to authenticate Whatever it is that he is trying to prove. He uses that word 17 times in his gospel. The other word that he uses is miracle, and he uses it 27 times in his gospel. The third word is wonder, and Vines wrote something strange, causing the beholder to marvel, always used in the plural. A sign is intended to appeal to the understanding. A wonder appeals to the imagination. Now John only uses this word once in his gospel, and he uses it in our text today. It is a warning to people concerning signs. So understand that when we use the word wonder today, that there is a warning that is going with us. The first miracle he performed was in response to a request that came from his mother. You recall from last week that Jesus had attended a wedding. At that wedding, they ran out of wine. His mother came to him and said, they have no more wine. The wine had given out. And so her expectation was that Jesus would do something to meet the needs of the people. The second miracle, the one we're looking at today comes in response to the request of a father whose son is about to die. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 46. He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said therefore to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household this is again a second sign that jesus performed when he had come out of judea into galilee all right as we look at this story i believe that john's purpose here is to reveal to us what is real faith so i think the purpose of this story is that you might understand that i might understand what god sees as being real faith. Now, people talk about faith. I hear people say, well, I'm a person of faith. We say that we need to have faith and so forth. But folks, the object of your faith is at least equal to the importance of your faith. You see, it's one thing to have faith, but the object of your faith has to be worthy of your faith. I can have faith in this chair, but if I sit down and the leg breaks, then it is not worthy of my faith. So we are to be people of faith, but the object must be worthy of the faith we have. Some people have faith in miracles. Some people have faith in baptism. Some have faith in catechism. Some have faith in their confirmation, their church membership. Jesus said... Have faith in God our faith is to be in God not the miracles not the baptism not our religion our faith is to be in God now here's the problem in this story the Galileans had faith but it was a shallow faith look at verse number 45 so when he came to Galilee the Galileans received him having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast for they themselves also went to the feast. Now this is an interesting portion of the story because the Galileans had also been at the feast in Jerusalem when Jesus was there. And according to the Bible, they had believed in Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 23, referring to that, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, During the fast, many, speaking of the Galileans, many believed in his name, beholding his signs which he was doing. Is that impressive to you? The Bible says that they believed in his name. In other words, they believed that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised one, the one that God had promised that he would send who would save man from his sin. They believed in his name. Then it says they believed in the signs which he was doing. So they believed in his name. They believed in the miracles. They saw the signs which he was doing, the authenticating miracles. They believed that. Now here's the thing that's interesting. They believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in them. The next verse, John chapter 2, verse 24. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. I want you to see this. Here are some people who believed in his name. They believed in the signs that he was doing, but the Bible says that Jesus did not commit himself Them. Just because they believed in him did not mean he believed in them. Kyle Yates wrote, He was not willing to claim them as full fledged disciples, for he knew the nature of their faith. They had not given to him the allegiance he demanded. He could not build a band of disciples on the faith they had. Hmm. That would mean then that not all faith is acceptable, right? You see, sometimes our faith is somewhat shallow. Our understanding of faith is shallow. Not all faith is acceptable. In fact, the scripture says in James chapter 2, verse 19, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. you realize that you can believe Jesus is the Messiah, that he performed miracles, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that he's coming again, and you're not believing one thing that the demons don't believe? You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So what you have to see in this story is the shallowness of their faith. Thus their faith was rebuked. Verse 48, Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Jesus rebuked this kind of faith, the faith of, of the Galileans. They believed in his name, they believed in the signs, they saw him perform. But Jesus rebuked that kind of faith because it was shallow. And that was the kind of faith the royal official had at this point. We are to be people of faith, we must understand faith, and our faith must be in God who is worthy Of our faith. Now then we see faith grow. So whenever we see this man's faith, it is a shallow faith, but then we see it as it grows. Faith oftentimes begins in a situation of desperation. And that was true with this man. Look at verse 49. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He came to Jesus out of desperation. Jesus, come down before my child dies. He wasn't looking for a savior. He was looking for a doctor. He was looking for a miracle worker. He was looking for someone to do something concerning his son. He was desperate. Albert Barnes wrote, so anxious was he for his son that he was not willing that Jesus should delay a moment not even to address the people. You have to understand the desperation of this man that he was desperate because his son was about to die. So he said, Jesus, come. You you have to come. My son is about to die. Desperation. The Bible tells a story in Mark chapter 9 about a father who came to Jesus out of desperation because his son was demon-possessed. And the Bible says, whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground. This is the father speaking to Jesus. Whenever it seizes him, this demon, when it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. In other words, he came to Jesus out of desperation. It was desperation that drove him to Jesus. Is it not true? that for many of us it is desperation that brings us to the Lord. We find ourselves in some desperate situation and out of that we come to the Lord. That that certainly is true with salvation. My friend, as long as you believe that you can be good enough to earn salvation, you will never come to faith in Jesus. As long as you believe that if I am a religious person or if I belong to the church or if I have been baptized, then I'm okay, you will never come to Jesus. It is only when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the, to the place where I understand there is nothing I can do, nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. It is only when we come to the end of ourselves that we come and put our faith in Jesus Christ because there's no other way. It is out of desperation. I come to Jesus asking him to forgive me. I come to Christ asking him to save me because there is no other way for me to be saved. We come out of desperation. Desperation for most of us is the beginning of faith. Sometimes that desperation comes from our our children. When we, and I would imagine that some of you would, identify here but when we have a child and that child is away from the Lord that child is in the world that child is in sin your heart is broken and out of desperation you cry out to God oh God do something Lord reach out and touch my child Lord draw my child back to you But it's in desperation that we cry out to God and come in faith, God, do something. Sometimes as a parent, it's when our children are sick that we come to him in desperation. I've told you before when Eric was a baby that the doctor said that he had to have surgery. I I still remember it because it's indelibly etched on my mind. I went to... My office, I'd just gone in ministry. I was going to school, part-time pastoring, didn't know what I was doing, but I still remember that I went to my office and I got on my knees before the Lord. And I said, God, do something. He is so little. And Lord, I'm asking you, there's nothing to commend me. There's no reason you should do it. I'm just asking you. Lord, to do so. See, it is in desperation that we normally come to the Lord. For some of you, it is when your marriage is about to break up. You are married, but things just aren't working. And out of desperation, you come to the Lord and say, God, heal my marriage. Lord, intervene. Do something to make things right. And out of desperation, you come to the Lord. Maybe it's out of your financial trouble. I don't have the money to pay my bills. I don't don't have the money to do the things I need to do. Lord, would you intervene? Would you do something? The point that I'm trying to make is that it is normally out of desperation that we cry out to God. That's not unusual. Just Just as this royal official did, that is not unusual. Faith normally begins in desperation. As I look at this, I see that The two miracles are linked. You look up in verse 46, He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee where He made the water wine. That was the first miracle. And then in verse number 54, this is again a second sign that Jesus Jesus performed. So these miracles are linked in this way. Both of them were done to bring someone to faith both instances. The miracle was done to bring someone to faith. The first miracle was to bring the disciples to faith. The Bible says in John two eleven, This beginning of his signs, the turning of water into wine, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. He turned the water into wine to bring the disciples faith. In this instance, he healed the man's son to bring the royal official to faith. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed. So as we look at these miracles, both of them, the first two, they are linked in that both of them were for the purpose of bringing someone to faith. The disciples for the first one, the nobleman for the second one. And yet, there is a contrast in these miracles. They are linked in purpose, but they are in contrast to each other. The first occasion was an occasion of joy. There was a wedding, a celebration, a festive occasion. So that's where the first miracle was performed the second miracle was performed at a time of sickness a boy was about to die but together these miracles teach us that life is filled with joy and sadness and we trust Jesus in both when life is good we trust Jesus Unfortunately, for many people, when life is good, they feel that they don't need Jesus. I don't know how you are. We're all different, and different things appeal to us, and the Lord deals with us differently. But for me, it is usually not the tough times that break my heart, that bring me to repentance. It's the good times. When I go through tough times, to be honest, I normally feel I'm getting what I deserve. If I'm going through a tough time, you know, I really feel that I probably deserve it. But when I think about God's goodness, my heart is gripped and touched because He is so good for no reason. He's just good. When times are good, we trust him. When times are bad, we still trust him. So we see this man's faith as it begins in desperation and grows, and then we see it mature. His faith began with faith in his presence in verse 49. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my Child dies. You see, he had a preconceived idea as to how Jesus was supposed to work. He said, Jesus, I want you to come down to my child, his presence. I want you to come down to my child and do something that my child might be healed. The Bible tells a story in Luke chapter 8 about an official of the synagogue who had the same idea when he came to Christ out of desperation. His daughter was about to die and was ill, and the Bible says he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. So his faith then was in the presence of the Lord, that the Lord has to be present. That was this man. That was his preconceived notion. Jesus, I want you to come down to my house. My son is about to die. Come and do something. His faith then was in the presence that the Lord had to be present. But now then... His faith moves to the Word of God. Now, see, Jesus was only here for 33 years in physical form. So then our faith, then, must not be in His presence, but in His Word. We have to learn to trust His Word. And that was the lesson that this royal official had to learn. Verse number 50. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he started off. So at first he says, Jesus, come down and heal my son. Now the Bible says that he believed his word and started off. We have to learn to trust the word of God. Wonderful story in the Old Testament is the story of Naaman. He was a military man who had uh, leprosy. A little slave girl in his Holmes said to him, "If, if you would go to my land, there is a prophet there who can heal disease. Well, at first he was hesitant to do it, and then he went. He expected Elisha to come out to him, his presence. He expected him to come out and heal him, but Elisha did not. He sent word. He said, go wash in the Jordan River and you will be healed. Naaman thought to himself, does he, I thought this man was a prophet who knew how to heal. If he knew anything about healing, he would know that he needs to come to me, wave his hand around, say some words of some sort, and heal me. But that's not the way that it was done. He said, go wash in the Jordan and you'll be healed. So Naaman had a struggle at this point. He said, you know, we've got, if that's all there is to it, we have cleaner rivers where I'm from than the Jordan River. Now, some of you have been to the Jordan River. I've baptized in there so many times. Every time I go there to baptize, I think maybe we, because it's, you know, in December, it's a little chilly. I think maybe we should sprinkle. But then, you know, being a Baptist, that's one of the disadvantages of being a Baptist. You've got to get in the water and immerse them. But I've baptized so many times in, in the Jordan River and you have someone in there and I'm kicking catfish away. I mean, catfish, big old catfish swimming around, you're kicking them away. Well, that was Naaman. He said, if, I, if that's all there is to it, washing in the river, said, there's cleaner rivers at home than this one. He hesitated, but then the Bible says that he believed the word and he went into the water and he was healed. He believed the word. Folks, we have to learn to trust the Word of God. Jesus' presence, physically speaking, is not available. So we trust the Word of God. J.C. Ryle wrote, What Christ has said He is able to do, and what He has undertaken, He will never fail to make good. The sinner who has really reposed his soul on the Word of the Lord Jesus is safe to all eternity. I, I believe that that is the reason that there are so many attacks against the Word of God, trying to call it into, uh, into question as to its veracity. Because we have to have faith in the Word of God. So when I look at this man as his faith is maturing, it began with faith in his presence come down, and then faith in his Word, Jesus spoke and he responded. And that leads to faith in his deity which is the purpose of John's Gospel. John's Gospel was written according to him in John chapter 20, verse 31, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. You see? John said, I have written this Gospel that you might believe in his deity. Not in his miracles, but in his deity. So we see this man now, he began with faith in his presence, faith in his word, faith in his deity. His son lived, verse 51. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. Because of the word of Jesus, his son now is alive. Now, the father had a question, verse 52. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said, therefore, to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So they came and said, your son is alive. And he said, you know, I've got a question. That upsets a lot of people whenever someone questions something about the word of God. Let me tell you, the word of God can stand up to your questions. Doesn't bother me in the least. Fine. He said, Now tell me the hour that he began to get well, because he expected it to be a process, that there's going to be a process in the healing. But they said, No, yesterday it left him. It was instantaneous. It wasn't like he expected it to be, it was instantaneous. The son lived, father had a question, but then the father believed, verse 53. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. Kyle Yates wrote instantly he recognized a direct connection between the word of Jesus and the healing of his son. The last stage in the growth of a man's faith was reached. He began with faith in his presence. He was desperate. Faith in His presence, come down and heal my son. Faith in His Word, Jesus spoke and He responded. And then faith in His deity, He committed, He believed. But now here's a serendipity, real quickly. If you noticed in that verse, there is something that is a blessing to me, an encouragement, hopefully to you. Look at it again, verse number 53. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed. What next? And his whole household. You know the number of times it says something similar to that in scripture? This man believed and his household believed. Simon Peter had a vision that he was to take the gospel to the um, Gentiles Cornelius was praying because God was dealing in his life and so the Lord now is telling Cornelius about this man who is going to come to him and share the gospel and the Bible says in Acts 11 14 he shall speak words to you by which you will be saved you and all your household Lydia the Apostle Paul shared the gospel with her in Philippi. And the Bible says, and when she and her household had been baptized. She and her household had been baptized. Paul witnessed to Lydia. And then he witnessed to the jailer of Philippi. The jailer cried out to him, Sir, what must I do to be saved? God had intervened. What must I do to be saved? Paul said in Acts 16 31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, and your household. You find many times that when someone believes, not all, not every time, many times, when someone believes, their family does you know what's important I, I, I don't recall accurately the statistic I have read it it is overwhelming when a father knows the Lord and is faithful to the Lord the percentage is overwhelming in how often the children know the Lord and follow the Lord especially with fathers when the dad When the husband is walking with the Lord, most of the time the children walk with the Lord. So let me ask you as I conclude, where's your faith? Is it in miracles? Is it in your religion? Maybe for some of you it's in your parents. You know, my parents have faith, so that must mean that I have faith. No, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You're either a child of God or you're not, but God doesn't have grandchildren. The Bible says that our faith is to be in Christ. And if your faith is in Christ, that is the best chance you have of your children having faith in Christ. The miracle was given to bring us to faith in Jesus. Do you know him? Have you committed to him? Not a shallow faith, but a genuine faith of commitment. Do you know Jesus? Our gracious Father and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to hearts. And Lord, I would ask that today you would move in our midst and those who have never come to a saving faith in Christ would do so. I pray, Lord, that they might have a desire in their heart to know the Lord Jesus and that you would draw them to yourself. I pray, Father, for those who are looking for a church home, that they would feel welcome here in Christ's name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. As the choir sings, let me encourage you to come to trust Jesus to join the church. Our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do. and remain standing.